I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today, and we're very pleased to be joined by the Speaker of the House of Representatives here in the great state of Utah, Speaker Brad Wilson. Mr. Speaker, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Good afternoon. <laughs> well, it's been a, uh, a busy week up on Utah's Capitol Hill. Of course, a number of things happening in the special session, and uh, we'll dive right in and hit a few of these things and then see what comes next. There were a lot of uh, emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of opinions uh, about the maps being drawn, and uh, you were able to work through all of that, get a vote on that, and it appears that uh, Governor Cox will sign that in. Give us just a little bit of the backstory in terms, from your perspective in terms of the legislative maps. I think you and your listeners all know this is something that we do once a decade to make sure that uh, we have the right uh, ratio of representation in our legislative uh, districts and congressional districts and state school board districts. And we've been working hard on a very short time frame. Normally, we have about six months uh, to do this work. And because of the census data coming in late, we only had about two. So mm. it's been a blistering pace. But um, boy, everyone rose to the occasion. And we were able to pass um, all four maps uh, successfully by Wednesday evening. So we're off to the races as far as uh, new districts go and the elections that will take place next year will be elections for the new districts that have been drawn. And we've been really emphasizing that uh, it's easy to get uh, hyperventilating on just the congressional maps. Uh, for some reason, we think that all things have to be solved in Washington. we got to get past that. Uh, but it does appear to me that there was a lot of good bipartisan work and listening and input uh, as it relates to those other maps, the legislative district maps, the Senate district maps, the school board maps. Uh, tell us just a little bit about that, because that's the one that really is going to impact voters in Utah, citizens of Utah on a daily basis. Boy, I couldn't agree more. If you really look at the decisions that are impacting the day-to-day lives of most Utahns. The majority of those decisions are being made locally uh, at the state legislative level or state school board level. And we did. We had bipartisan support uh, for all of those those maps. And it's because lawmakers, they understand every corner of this state. It was interesting as we were talking through the areas of the state and these maps, how a lawmaker would come in and say, hey, you've got this neighborhood here that doesn't fit with the rest of the district, you should move it over here. And that's the benefit of having 104 people that really represent these areas, uh, helping draw the maps. And it's actually why the Constitution of our state requires that the legislature be the one to make the decisions about how these maps are drawn, including the congressional maps. Uh, those are oftentimes, like you said, the maps that get the most attention, but um, not necessarily the ones that impact us the most. 
Uh, and looking at those congressional maps and those shifts, of course, there was uh, a lot of talk around the Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, as you've rightly pointed out, the uh, the Constitution of the state uh, gives that uh, sole power in the end to the legislature. Uh, as you look at that as a process, uh, again, understanding you know what is a community of interest, what is it that is gerrymandering and what is not. Uh, technically, anything to give anyone an advantage is gerrymandering, whether that's saying, hey, the, the ranchers need a bigger voice or uh, the avenues need a bigger voice. Uh, all of that would be considered gerrymandering. But how did you do the, the mental gymnastics of all of that to, to get to the congressional map that was passed? Well, we went into it with a lot of important principles that we thought needed to be subscribed to, of course, making sure that we had equal districts. So these districts have zero variance in terms of population between them. And there was another principle that is important to lawmakers around these congressional maps is thinking about Utah being one Utah. If you really think about how connected we are between urban Utah and rural Utah, uh, we felt like it's really important uh, for the congressional delegation to go back united uh, to Washington with a deep understanding of not just the issues along the Wasatch Front, but the issues off the Wasatch Front. And so that was one of the principles that was important to me personally, um, as I've gotten to really understand the state well as speaker and, and how interconnected we are with rural Utah. So those were some of the things we looked at. It, it is tricky. The math requires you to draw four even districts. Right. So you have to divide, though, communities uh, to make the math work. You have to split up, not everywhere, but some counties are divided. Davis County is divided. Salt Lake County is divided. There's dividing lines in Utah County, and you just have to do that. So not everyone in Utah County is represented by the same member of Congress. They haven't been retrospectively. They're not going to be in the future. Same with many other counties, especially the more populous counties uh, in the state. But yeah, you're right. You could, uh, you could allege gerrymandering for any decision you make because they do ultimately advantage someone. It just depends on, on how you look at that and what, yeah. what paradigm you have. Fascinating. I've come up with a real solution. This will be for the uh, a decade out next census. Uh, absolutely way to, to fix it all is you just do it alphabetical. Start with A, go until you get 870,000. Then, you, you know, you'll pick up about G or H, go until you get another 870,000. They'd all be equal, but uh, then we might have people changing their last names. I don't know, to get into a different congressional district. Yeah. You know, you do learn in a process like this that there's only one thing I can guarantee you. And uh, it's sure going to make some people mad. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, well, I do. I do love the the principle behind a, a one Utah. I think that's smart. I do think that actually is beneficial back in Congress uh, when you do have members of a delegation that really do get it and do approach it as a one Utah. Uh, kind of solution. So I think there's some some great wisdom in that as well. Real quickly, Speaker Wilson, uh, this was not the only thing on the agenda. Uh, I think Utah's legislature uh, continues to be one of the most efficient and effective in the country. Uh, you also took on some uh, some other big issues as you went through the week from uh, the renaming of Dixie State University uh, and uh, some criminal justice reform. Uh, give us some, some other highlights of what got done all before uh, the end of the day on Thursday. Yeah, boy, it was a frenetic couple of days, um, but we did do some big things other than redistricting. Um, just to echo what you said, um, really excited about the future of Utah Tech University down in Washington County. They are embracing a technical uh, mission, much like Cal Poly or MIT, and um, the students down there are just beside themselves with excitement right now about what the future for that institution looks like. Uh, 
So uh, that was something that was not without some controversy, a lot of affection for the name Dixie, and uh, change is hard. So we, we hope that community can kind of come together and rally around the new name and the new mission of the institution. Something that's really policy kind of wonkish, but really matters a lot was the criminal justice reform and bail reform you talked about, trying to strike the right balance between being fair to people in terms of if they get arrested, what process do they go through to be released on bail? But yet, how do we keep the public safe? And, and quite frankly, we passed a bill a couple of years ago that wasn't working well. One thing I appreciate about the legislature is when we have a swing and a miss, we're willing to go in and try to fix things. So we've been doing that over the last year. We think we've got the right balance now between protecting individuals' rights if they're accused of a crime, but also protecting the public safety uh, in those situations. So hard. that was a hard issue, to be honest, yeah. um, just with all the different stakeholders. And um, probably the last thing I'll just mention, if I've got time, Boyd, yeah, is we, we also passed a bill uh, relative to vaccine mandates. And, um, and kind of the bottom line is this. The Biden administration has foisted through OSHA a requirement for all employers over 100 to either test their employees weekly or require them to have a vaccine. And it's tied up in the courts right now. I think we all know that, that that's been stayed um, by the Fifth Circuit. So that's not something that's in effect right now. But um, we have had some concerns uh, about what's the right place for government in this and how can we as a state um, kind of balance the rights of an employer and the rights of the individuals that work for these employers. And basically said that if employers are going to require a vaccine of their employees that they do need to offer and must allow a religious exemption, a medical exemption, or a personal exemption from that vaccine requirement for employers. I believe in the vaccines. I've been vaccinated, but we think those are decisions that individuals should be making for themselves. Yeah, fantastic. Great insight, as always. Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson from the great state of Utah. Uh, appreciate you weighing in. Uh, like you said, a very fast, very furious uh, couple of days. But it is that kind of that pioneering, pioneering spirit, the Utah Tech University, uh, I think, looking beyond. And uh, I've always said that the, the real thing that you learn from pioneers is that when something is no longer useful, if it's either slowing you down or is not adding value, you have to discard it because you can't carry everything forward. And I think, as you said, the excitement down there on something that goes well beyond Utah's border, well beyond just regional, but has national and international scope uh, is something worth looking at with new eyes and a new approach uh, whilst really honoring the pioneering spirit that uh, really was there yeah. at the beginning. That's a great point. Watch that university. It's going to be something to behold, I think, over the next couple of decades. It's going to be impressive. All right. Fantastic. Again, thanks so much for joining us today. Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson, uh, joining us uh, on a Friday. Appreciate your perspective. A very fast and furious day, and we know there's uh, a lot more yet to come. Thanks for joining us today. So is politics making us a bunch of Karens? What do I mean by that? And why might that be a really bad thing, no matter what side of the aisle you're on? We'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.